Welcome to Garbage of the Five Rings, a podcast that is actually not for snake weebs. What? What? I'm one of your hosts, Amelia Antrim, and today my co-host Jude Vase and I celebrate Christmas the Rokugani way with oatmeal and snakes. With a healthy side of racism. Yeah, I mean, probably. <laughs> it's, you know, like, I don't, hmm. Yeah. I would like my Christmas to not be racist, but um, I don't think L5R cares. Nope. Nope. Uh, corrections and not apologies? We continue to not apologize. Just as a reminder, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Whatever Rokugan does. Um, snakes and oatmeal. Snake and oatmeal miss. Happy snake and oatmeal. <laughs> Happy snake and oatmeal miss. There you go. Snake miss. I don't know. We're going to come up with a new holiday. Uh, snakes and oatmeal. Yeah. Ugh. Snakes in oatmeal? Oh, no. Uh, no, it's just oatmeal with gummy worms in it. <laughs> Happy snake miss and a merry oatmeal oatmeal year. No. There you go. No, yeah. I don't like it. We'll workshop it, folks. We'll workshop it. Previously on Garbage of the Five Rings, a bunch of people we've never heard before who are all going to be really, really important were introduced out of nowhere with absolutely no context. Yeah. Yeah. Last episode was a greatest hits of people that you're going to hear a lot about in the future, but just yeah. showed up out yeah, of nowhere. I don't know who they are. Yeah, as if they were just trying to make our lives difficult here in the future. Yeah, I mean, so basically what I'm saying is the entire last episode was just regular L5R, nothing special. Yeah. Uh, just how they do in media stupid, as yeah. we have referred to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and I actually think that the Morikagi fiction is really representative of how L5R fiction works later on just not well written and -hmm. not to say that there's not parts of it that i think are well written but the way that it just sort of like barfs characters without any coordination all into one event is not well coordinated it's not well handled but the idea of like here's 12 characters you care about all sort of like showing up in the same place like that's a thing. L5R does that all the time. And they actually will get better at doing that in the future. So you can definitely see like the the genesis of future L5R stuff uh, happening in this fiction. I think it's already really clear that they've gotten better at weaving storylines together. I mean, when we looked at Clan Wars, mm-hmm. like toward the end, it was like, oh, quick, we have all these things. Uh, I don't know, throw them together somehow. Just kidding. We knew all along that this had to come to an end, I guess. Yeah. yeah um, whereas here, it seems like they're doing a lot better of a job making things go together. Yeah, exactly. But we're also only like a third of the way through Hidden Emperor, so. Yeah. Yeah. And this is even more than just a storylines being woven together. This is like jamming a whole bunch of people together, which is, like I said, something that later L5R, later... Uh, as L5R matures, something that they like to do a lot, which is just like, here, t- pick six characters that have been around for at least five years out of a hat, and let's write a fiction about them. I like that you used L5R and mature in the same sentence. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Oi. Uh, um, today, what are we talking about, Jude? 
Uh, today we're talking about poorly written snake cosmologies. We're talking about Tatori, finally. I know we teased that last time and you were all so, so disappointed that we did not get to it. You're all this on the time, edge of your seats waiting and we were like, nah, fools you. Haha. <laughs> Uh, this time we promise not to disappoint. Uh, Tutori will disappoint because that is what he is and what he does, but we will not. Uh, and then we're going to blame all this on you because I'm sure there is at least one person listening to this podcast that is responsible for the clusterfuck that is the Morikaki Castle fiction because this is a tournament result and a kind of interesting one. So we're going to talk about that. You know who you are and you know what you did. Yep. And I want you to think about it. I want yeah. you to feel sorry. Yeah, go sit in the corner. <laughs> Merry fucking Christmas. You get coal. Yeah. For this decision you made in 2001 or whatever, whenever yeah, this was. 2000, something like that, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I have titled this section, Pale Eye and Bright Eye, Not a Sex Thing. <laughs> yep. Nope. Um, it was, why, why call it that? Why? Uh, well, snake weebery. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, this is this one's all you, so you go ahead and okay. take it. All right. So, finally, I want to point out, finally in this fiction, which is the third of the storming, secret, secret storming, Morikage Castle. I just called it Morikage Castle 3. Yep. Uh, we start getting some background on what the fuck the shadow is. I would like to read to you. What follows is a list of all things that this has been called so far in the things that I've read. The nothing, the lie of forever, the foul, the shadow, the unmaker, the darkness that walks. Nice. Uh-huh. Right? Later on, through some kind of corruption or something, this nothing is the lying darkness is also the, right? So, like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We totally know what we're dealing with. Yeah, the line darkness is the one that they'll add, so that'll get us up to seven. Mm-hmm. I want to point out that this this list is just from these three fictions. Yeah. Yeah, no, I especially also like that the nothing, the shadow. So it, it will have – so this is a thing, as we're about to see, that is by definition nameless, and we already have six names for it. Seven right. if you count the line darkness, and at least three of them are going to stick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is why going into this, I was like, wait a minute, isn't that the same thing? And then people would be like, no, it's not. And I'd be like, but it is. Yeah. But it is. So as a player trying to, like, play the RPG and, like, understand the story in, like, the weird specific timeline setting that we're playing in, I was like, wait, so is this the shadow or is it the nothing? No, it's the same thing. But the lying darkness, mm, kind of the same, but also not the same. It's all world-ending forces. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah. it hurts my head. Yeah. So that's that's just where I want to start. That is my rant to start with. The, the nothing, the lie of forever, the foul, the shadow, the unmaker, the darkness that walks. The thing that is nameless has some names. <laughs> yeah. The very beginning of this third Morikage fiction, we get um, a sort of nagified version of the Rokugani creation story, which you may remember... Um, is kind of a pretty direct ripoff of some Greek mythology. Yeah. Um, they're not trying. In this story, we get, we do finally get a little bit about how we got 
the foul nothing shadow Comcast customer service waiting in line at the DMV. <laughs> Whatever we're calling this thing now. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to run through that real quick to try and understand how this came to be. Yeah. Um, you have what they in this story call Pale Eye, who is also the moon slash Onotangu we've talked about before. I think we talked about this in our um, Rokugan 101 episode. Yeah. I think is where we yeah, covered we all of this. Um, so you have Pale Eye is jealous of all of the attention that Bright Eye, the sun, Amaterasu, whatever, is getting from all of these fo- followers and starts getting resentful. He notices this shadow and proposes a game that he will give the sun this list of names and she gets to choose which creatures get names. Um, but like a dick, he doesn't give her enough names. And she doesn't see the shadow and she doesn't have a name for it. And then it goes nameless. It starts to eat people. It corrupts them. And it says they become twisted beyond bone and scale. Which is real helpful. Helpfully descriptive right yeah, there. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, they did note that it removes the Naga from the Akasha, which you might recall is no bueno. Yeah, they seem very unhappy about that every time it happens. Yeah, it's their snake hive mind. So um, now they can't be reborn. They fight against this shadow, um, but it's a pretty futile task. A bunch of people die. There is a hero named... I can't... Okay. If things don't have a Q and a U, how do you say them? Katol. Katol. That's how I would pronounce it. Great. I don't speak snake. Um, So Katol leads this charge and eventually dies. Side tangent. I need to get this out because it really bothered me when I was reading. Okay. So much of the story, and honestly, so much of L5R in general, centers around names. Yeah. Like, don't accidentally give your name to an Oni. Uh, the nothing slash shadow slash whatever isn't formally named. Kaede's father is lost to the shadow and becomes the nameless one. Yeah. But there is a line in this fiction that annoys the shit out of me for this reason. It says, yet among the people rose a hero. His name at the time, if such things had names, was Katal. If they had names, what the fuck? Like, isn't this whole thing about a thing not having a name slash having a name? What do you mean, if such things had names? Clearly, the first half of the story was about giving shit names, Jude. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I I don't understand that line at all. Like, why? This one little parenthetical ruined so much of this. Like, I couldn't... mm. Like, oh, you know what would sound mysterious? If such things had names, it was so long ago. And it's like, no, the, the whole first half of this was about naming things. Well, I think, th- I think that might be a reference to the whole, like, snakes don't have names. They have, like, titles for the roles they inhabit. So, like, the individuals don't have names. They have, like, I am the Katol. Yeah. So, I don't have a name. I just, I am the Katol. And I am... You know, Snake Archer 47. And when I die, someone else will take up the role and be Snake Archer 47. But I don't know. Like the fact that it's not a tradition, like that's still what you call it. Yeah, but it's a name. It's still a name. It's just a stupid name. And it's clearly very important to the rest of the story. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yeah. So they lose this fight because they're fighting against the Shadow Nothing DMV. And. Bright Eye apparently 
tries to find a name for this thing, can't find a name, sends her youngest son, it just says youngest son, doesn't say who, to that, steal a name. That would be, um, what's his name? Hontai. Great. Sure. Doesn't say in this story. Um, sends him to steal a name from the pale. Um, but he falls down, and they never end up naming it, except for the 35 other names that they gave it in this story, I guess. But the line that gets me is, no name was ever given, and the darkness that walks still remained free. So clearly you named it something. Yes. Like, even not formally, but they didn't even just, like, use a pronoun there. Couldn't they just say it? Or just call it, like, I don't know, Bojangles? Couldn't they just make up a word? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the sun is not very creative and can't make up names. I was right. Hantai is the youngest of the kami. So it would have been it would have been Hantai that she sent out. Okay. Well, apparently Hantai can't kill the shadow of nothing DMV. So when when we first talked about Hororu. Hororu. Um our favorite ninja in dress pajamas. Um, when we first talked about him, it we also talked about the story that Shizue is telling Suko about the origins of the Naga and growing in the belly of Lord Moon from this from this stone that Lady Sun feeds him because she wants this necklace and it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. I can't totally tell if this new story contradicts it. Way of the Willow doesn't really like name names and all that kind of stuff. It does say that Katal was the first Naga, um, which this one kind of, it's like the first named one. I don't know. Um, they're definitely really different though. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part about this though, is that we find out that this is why the Naga are sleeping. Apparently, according to this part of the story, everyone was just super tired from fighting the nothing and just being really sad that Katal de- is dead. Um, and so they just take a super long nap and have dreams about the shadow. And then they wake up and they recognize the scent. It says that, like, they recognize the foul stench of it. I don't know. I, I mean, then there was this whole big thing with the Day of Thunder. And they thought that that was it. So, like... Maybe they don't really recognize the scent of it because clearly they woke up too soon and thought this whole other thing was it. So maybe they were just like, hmm, something smells bad. Yeah. Here's another point that I want to make. Please. Don't snakes smell with their tongues? They do. Um, And so, like, maybe they should have been licking stuff instead of looking <laughs> for this scent. They should have been licking more stuff. So now, I guess what I'm saying is that they are licking their way through Rokugan, trying to find this evil thing, and they decide it's in the Dragon Mountains and under Morikage. And I just said the sentence, licking their way through Rokugan. That is a sentence I never needed to hear. Yep. You're Uh, welcome. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Also. These snakes are licking their way through Rokugan. (laughs) Yeah, just, just, that's terrible. Thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm imagining them like at the, in the in the Dragon Mountains, just picking up random rocks and just. <laughs> so yeah, there's your naga. Yeah, so that's what the naga are up to, and that is a good portion of this first part of the third Morikage fiction. Yeah. Um, and finally, answers some questions about why the heck the naga are here. 
what they're doing. Just why, Naga? Why? Why? Why snakes, Jude? Why snakes? <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows. That is probably one of my favorite, like, cuts from one of our early episodes. It's you just being like, well, I think, it, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but maybe, like, I was thinking, no, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> now we get to what I have referred to in our outline as Team Oatmeal. If you recall last time, we had a many enter a few survive kind of situation where we had a whole bunch of people milling around in the forest surrounding Morikagi and a small group are now getting into the castle itself. So we're going to go over the roster of team oatmeal here. Who's who's playing shortstop? Uh, let's find out. Okay. So I would like you to tell me what position all of these people are playing on a baseball team. I don't know enough about baseball to do that. Oh my god, it's not hard. I hate baseball, and I can probably do it. I mean, I can name positions, but I don't know like what the positions signify. Oh, that doesn't matter. No, but nobody does. Nobody listening to this podcast knows enough about baseball to care. <laughs> I know of at least I know I know people who are diehard baseball anime fans, so I'm sure that there are some who who. Do. I'm sorry. <laughs> Back that up. What? Uh huh. Okay, we're going to talk about that off air later. I have questions. Yeah. I don't know shit about swords or anime. I don't know how I'm making an L5R podcast. <laughs> Just, Just throwing it out there. So let's talk about Team Oatmeal. Team Oatmeal is comprised of indeterminate number of Naga, question mark, uh, Utako Komoko, Utako Shang-Chi, and Suruchi, and then... My personal favorite, Jamasuru. <laughs> oh, God. I forgot about this guy. Okay. Yeah. Also, Jamasuru is awesome. I kind of forgot about that. Um, I don't remember if we talked extensively about how awesome he is last episode. I think we did. We did not talk about him at all. We spent, you and I, pre-recording with you telling me about your collection of Jamasuru cards. But we did not actually talk about him at all in the episode. Okay, well, we'll get there. The Naga are initially traveling with Togashi Hoshi, who they refer to as the one who smells of sky. It's the first I've heard of that. I don't know what that's up. Um, what does the sky smell like? I don't know. I man. feel like it's probably a mix of like petrichor and ozone, right? Probably. Sure. <laughs> They're driven into the forest, and it goes badly. They're getting, the sh like, just the shit kicked out of them. And Hoshi, Mitsu, and Suwana eventually are forced to flee. And the way that they do that is shenanigans. Um, yeah, we talked about that last time with, like, going yeah. through what's-her-name's vision and... Yeah, they do that whole step-through-dreams thing, and that leaves the Naga alone, which seems classy. Everyone keeps – well, you know what? No, no. You know what? The Naga bails on the crab, too. They deserve it. How do you like it now, snake people? Right. Um, they eventually move further into the forest, and they come across Komoko, who I believe we talked about, um, who has been wounded and tainted in her fight with Kyoso no Oni. And they res rescue her from the shadows. And then they retreat towards the castle in the heart of the forest. Along the way – 
they will also meet up with Suruchi. We'll talk about how Suruchi gets there in, in a little bit, but there is a very good line where the Naga, as Suruchi, is, as they are retreating, one of the Naga asks Suruchi if he can use a bow and he literally says, try me. It's so is, good. It's so good. Yeah. You did not have this in the outline and I was like, no, we need to point this out in here because like he literally is like, fucking try me, snake. Like, Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. I love Suruchi. All right. Um, so let's talk about Jamasuru. And by let's, he means him. He's going to talk about Jamasuru right now. Yeah. So who's Jamasuru? Well, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you asked, Jude. Uh, Jamasuru is a card with some very questionable art at this point, uh, but that's about it. He has a super fucking bananas backstory, but we're not going to get into it too much. Uh, I will give you a very, very brief version of it, which is that um, Hantai- I want to point out to everyone everyone listening to this that Jude says a very brief backstory about him. Um, and there's like four paragraphs here. Well, about- this is not about his backstory. This is about what happens in the story. Oh, I'm sorry. This is six bullet points about Jamasuru. <laughs> well, he gets up to some shit. All right. <laughs> okay. All um, right. It's fine. He... Hantai Jama is the original name of Yuchiban. Um, Jamasuru is a blood speaker that is allied with him and was so dutiful in his worship of Yuchiban that Yuchiban gave him his, his, his name as a family name. Ergo, Jamasuru. He's immortal. He killed a kami. He's fucking bananas. He's done all kinds of crazy stuff. Go Google him. He's great. Um, he also has a couple pieces of really cool art. I feel like we talked about this in the last episode briefly. I'm getting some weird deja vu. Nope. It was just all you and I before we recorded. None huh. of it made it into the episode. The two experienced versions of his card, the art is super fucking good. I didn't know any of his backstory when I played the game. I just knew he was a really good card. But uh, yeah, he's cool. He's great. I look forward to talking more about him later. Anyway, uh, at the moment, he's working for Kuni Yori, who super obviously doesn't trust him um, because he very obviously has his own agenda. And he's asking to go on this mission that Kuni Yori wants him to go on. And he's like, oh, sure. Yeah, you, I'll, I'll go do this mission. And in his head, he's thinking, while I'm doing it, I'm going to go do this thing for the mask. And it's never explained what this mask he's looking for is in the fiction. Um, it later turns out that what he's looking for is one of the four masks of Yushuban. It's not clear what he wants this for or what it's going to be used for, but in a later Spooky RPG book. stuff. Yeah. In a later RPG book, they explain what's up there. Uh, but Kuni Yori, since he clearly doesn't trust him, is like, sure, you can go. Take this Oni Lord with you and sends Kyoso no Oni with him uh, as a babysitter. And also transportation, since Kyoso no Oni can just like teleport. I didn't know that that was the thing they could do, but okay. I mean, Oni lords are different than Oni, but can they talk? Here's the question. Can they talk? Kyoso no Oni can. Okay. Well, then clearly also an elemental terror. Uh, <laughs> um, Not going to let that go. Kyoso no Oni teleports right into Morikagi, where he immediately gets up to no good. He is also towing around the heart of Yuchiban, like the actual fucking heart of Yuchiban. I didn't know that was a thing, but he's got- I thought we just ate those. No. 
every time there's been like cool like spooky god parts of any sort we eat them no this is the uh yuchiban is what's called a kadi he underwent a ritual in the burning sands where his heart was removed and that means that he can do all the blood magic he wants without getting tainted are you mansplaining l5r to me right now are you mansplaining blood magic to me well i wasn't sure if our listeners knew what a kadi was and what being heartless uh, was. So, well, they've listened to you enough. They know what being heartless is. Oh, zing. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm proud of that one. <laughs> uh, Uchiban has no heart uh, in his chest. Um, and that's what makes him immortal. And that's how he has avoided punting off down to Jigoku by having no, by being a Kadi, he, uh, can do all the blood magic he wants and he never gets tainted. It's a pretty good deal, honestly. Uh, yeah, except, I've seen zero downsides. Well, except that whoever holds the heart of Yuchiban, whoever holds the heart of Akagi can control them. Yujin, that's how uh, Yuchiban controls his minions like Yujinden. He knows he had Yujinden's heart for a long time um, and other Kadi that he has created. So, Okay, so just don't lose your heart. Yes, obviously. Um, except that you have, never mind. except you have to let someone do it to you. You have to let someone take your heart out. So presumably they're going to just not give it back to you. I don't know. I feel like this is a real important trust exercise. Yes. <laughs> this presumably. is like a very high stakes trust exercise. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he uses, uh, Suru uses the hidden heart of Yuchiban. And I have no idea how he has this thing. He's not supposed to have this thing. That makes no goddamn sense to summon Komoko for reasons that are literally never explained. He wants to do something. I have no idea what. Something to do with the mask, I guess, or he needs her blood. I don't know. And in doing so, it teleports both Shang-Chi and Komoko to him. It, again, never explained why he gets Shang-Chi in for the deal. It's two for the price of one. Yeah. Um... They were like, you know what, Komoko, like probably least interesting thunder, we should at least give you a deal. Yeah. Well, Shang-Chi is demonstrably more interesting than Komoko, whose only defining attribute here is that she is sad about her mom. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Okay, that's the only defining attribute of several women in Alphavar. Like, Suko's only thing was, like, sad and angry. Like... She's just sad about her mom being missing or dead... But so Kyoso immediately starts to fight Komoko before Suru can do whatever it is he's trying to do. And then Shang-Chi steps in to fight Kyoso and somehow manages to kick Kyoso Naoni's butt with a single finger of jade, which is completely in bananas. And everyone, for once in L5R's history, everybody acknowledges that. And Suru is like, that should not have worked. Uh, fuck this. But that's never explained. It's never explained why that's bananas or what's going on there. It's just everybody remarks that like, wow, that shouldn't have worked. Because it was a tournament decision and even the writers were like, I don't fucking know. You know what? Just write it in there. This is dumb. I guess. Um, Komoko thinks that Shang-Chi is dead. Komoko is also tainted. Uh, Komoko flees. Classy. Mm-hmm. Um... So, we've already covered how Shang-Chi got there. 
We talked about how she showed up with her armor, blah, blah, blah. Komoko is there. She entered Morikagi thinking that her mother is in there for some reason or that there's some way to free her. She's not very clear on what exactly her motivation is there. There's, she thinks maybe that there's some way to free her mother's tormented spirit there. Uh, we never really she, find out, like, why her mother's spirit is tormented either. Because, like, she supposedly was murdered, but also maybe died in battle. But also, like, yeah. where's that lion guy that supposedly killed her? Yeah, it's all very She was vague. hunting down. So she's in Murakagi, and while she's wandering around, she somehow loses all of her jade. Oops. Yeah, and it's, like, right after that that she gets ganked by Suru. Uh, continuing her tradition of being the least impressive, most incompetent thunder. Uh, and now we get to Suruchi, and his little bit here is my favorite. So, Yoritomo has heard a rumor that Oatmeal is in Morikagi looking for the Okoto. I didn't know the Okoto were missing, but okay, whatever. Uh, he's also decided, and I quote, that if we cannot take the throne, then we must destroy it. This is how he's handling the situation. He's literally saying that if we can't, that if he can't sit on the throne, we're going to take the if empire. If I can't apart. have it, no one can. Yeah. And there's a line where, um, Yoritomo's like, are you sure that's not a bit of a, a, a bit of a, you know, a bit much? And he's like, no, it's not. Fuck you. And <laughs> Suruchi's like, okay, well then. Meanwhile, Aramasu um, is there, and he's talking to the shadows and makes reference to Shosuro's bargain, and nobody knows what this is. I've never heard of this before. It's all super vague. And in the end, Yoritomo sends Suruchi to Murakagi with some men, and it is strongly implied, like, it's not implied, he doesn't say it outright, but he strongly implies that he, he's supposed to kill Totori if he finds him. Which is the first time I've liked Yoritomo in this entire game. I mean, yes and also no, right? Like, I like the idea that Yoritomo's like, look, nobody wants that guy around. Can you just off him, please, and do us all a favor? Fine. The problem is that Yoritomo is like, I would be a better choice. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. Which he hundo P would not. Yeah, no, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yoritomo's still shitty. But I just love the idea that he's just like... Let's just get rid of Tatori. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, like it. I mean, here's my thing. It's like, if Saruchi can get rid of Taturi, can he also get rid of Yaratama? A hundred percent. Tsuruchi is like uh he, the best. He, he's like the sniper of the I mean, he could he could put five hundred arrows in Yoritomo before anybody knew anything about it. Yeah. Easy peasy mm -hmm. lemon squeezy. Why did he not? Honor. Anyway, he goes into Morikagi, and it takes him about eight seconds flat for the shadows to eat his entire squad. Um, he sees a bunch of weird shit. They all die, and he's like half batshit crazy by the time he runs into the Naga. So there we go. We That is our super team. We have the Naga, who first collect Komoko, then Tsuruchi, and head into the castle. That is where we end up with our super, our super team. Uh, they get into the castle, and now we start getting into the plot. Oh, now we're getting into the plot? Yeah. Okay. 
the first thing they find is a whole bunch of corpses, including a bunch of recently dead corpses that appear to be Okoto, which is wild because the Okoto family was supposed to have been disbanded and killed after the Day of Thunder. Uh, so it's weird that they're in there. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't understand. Wait, weren't they after the Day of Thunder? Wouldn't it have been before the Day of Thunder? Like well, after no, sorry, the, not after the Day the of coup. Thunder, the Scorpion Clan coup. So quite a while ago. So the fact that they're like recent corpses is mm-hmm. bizarre. Yeah. And they're clearly like Okoto, not Ronin, which is what a lot of the Okoto were. Yeah. Uh, at that point, Suru appears with Shang-Chi. He like teleports in mm-hmm. and they bicker it's a bit. Oniportation. Oniportation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Suru wants to make some kind of a deal. Um, he wants to like trade Shang-Chi for Komoko to do this thing. And they're pretty close to making this deal when the nothing shows up and reveals Tatori bound in chains. Dun, 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 dun. Standing over Tatori is a figure that they re- that's referred to as the Goju. There's another name for the shadow for you. That's the first time we hear that name. I think it's not, though, right? Isn't is it, it like... Is, is the Goju... Um, I also like Suruchi's solution here. The, the Goju is taunting them, saying, you'll never kill all of these, kill all of us. Like, there's too many shadows here. We're infinite, blah, blah, blah. And Suruchi's like, well, fuck you. We don't really want to kill all of you. We just want the emperor and breaks the chains, which is fucking... Well, for one, the shadow are just screwing with them. They want Tatori to go back with with them. But I also like that it, it is very boss move of Suruchi, where he's just like, "No, I'm just going to solve our problem here. I don't care about your talking." Suru blows up the floor and dumps a bunch of shadows down into the floor. I'm not entirely sure why. <laughs> it's never. Where does he get shadow? Like, how does that? Dumps a bunch of the shadow. Like, how does that? Is it like a solid or a liquid or? Well, they're like little like, like shadow people. I think is what's happening there. Okay, so we're putting on a puppet show. Yeah, it's not entirely clear, but it's. I mean, it's cool <laughs> that he does it. Suru's yeah. a boss, but uh, it's silly. Um, but it quickly becomes clear that they're fucked. Like they can't get out. Um, but Suru says he can. Uh, he can get himself out. He can get three people out, counting himself. Uh, so himself and then the emperor and one other. But there's some caveats here. First, he needs Komoko's blood to make the spell work. And in addition, he demands a favor of Komoko in the future. Uh, they all agree. And Shang-Chi is chosen to go with them. So she puts her magical armor of the earth on the emperor and they vanish. Suru didn't get the mask, but he thinks that this is a better deal all around. Mm-hmm. The next morning, this is so good. The next morning, Shang-Chi and the Emperor uh, are found by Yoritomo and the Mantis. Or no, uh, are found by the dragon. Meanwhile, Yoritomo and the Mantis find the Naga and Komoko, who survived anyway. Yeah. Making the deal with Suru kind of pointless. But Suruchi did a last stand at the doors of the castle with the last of the Naga arrows and has not been seen since. Because he's a fucking baller and 
is too cool for words. I, why did nobody just like? Why did nobody just kill Kamoko and be like, "Oh, now she can't do you a favor." Sorry, Suru. Uh, I don't know. We'll see how this resolves because at the moment she's tainted too. Yeah. So I'm very curious how that resolves. I don't know how this this one resolves because I know she doesn't like long term stay tainted. So. Yeah. So really, this whole thing was a clusterfuck. Yeah. Like so many people just happened to be in Morikage. Like none of this. I want to point out this. None of this. Like finding of Tuturi or anything. There aren't actually any phoenix involved here in this part of it nope the dragon like fucked right off yep like the crab were just not involved at all the crane not involved at all like it's just i don't know the whole thing is just really weird it's just really weird. like you have all these people in the forest and then a bunch of them are not in the forest anymore and then ta-da ta-turi yep it's I it felt very much like reading these things. It was like build up and build up and build up and build up. And then like the last two sentences, like, oh look, we found him. End of story. Wait, what? Come back. Why are why are the credits rolling? I have questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is a really interesting one. Like I said, it fe- it feels like a prototype for future fictions. And that kind of bears out in I, when we discovered that it was a tournament result and it wasn't just any tournament result, it was the very first like mega game or like proto mega game. Yeah. It was the first global event, global event. They call it. That's right. This was an event. It was a global storyline event in which stores held tournaments and the clans that the players, the clans that, uh, the players placing first through third place uh, had their clans tracked and points were all added up. And that was what determined which clan would find Tatori and how. If you're interested, if you go onto our website, uh, onto our website, which is. Um, it's garbage of the five rings. Thank you. Garbage5rings.com. If you look at Imperial Herald uh, issue 11, um, there is a write up about this tournament, about the result, um, that is super interesting. Um, and it talks a little bit about the number of people that participated and how it was organized and stuff. And apparently, Unicorn were doing really well at this time because the Unicorn had like, almost twice as many people participating as any other clan. Um, only the crane and the dragon came anywhere close. Um, Unicorn had almost 700 pe- participants. Uh, crane and dragon had 400-ish each. Nobody else hit 300. Um, so obviously the Unicorn won the result, and that's why Kamoko is the one who technically gets the win for finding... Um, the Unicorn get the win for finding... Uh, to Tori. How do you think John Wick felt about that? I hope it I hope it keeps him up at night to this day. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it's interesting that this was their first global storyline event and that it was a successful one and it definitely feels like the prototype for these storyline type events. The fiction is kind of a 
mishmash? It is, but it's interesting when you go back and look at like this write-up that they did in this Imperial Herald. Um, it's interesting to kind of see where some of it came from. Yeah. Because um, this this trying to read through this article thing was a little bit obnoxious because it's just like a pile of data point vomit. But yeah. like you can kind of see when you start to parse through it, like where all of this came from. Um, and again, like it's a thing we've talked about that's really cool about L5R is that you you end up with these really stupid decisions, but it's cool to trace back where they came from. Agreed. Uh, I did think it was interesting that apparently Crane very nearly won the event and are nowhere to be found in the fiction. Yeah, that is bizarre to me. Because in other cases, it's been like, oh, the first and the second mm-hmm. are yeah. more important. Yeah. Everybody else who's placed well, the crane, or the dragon and the naga um, were both, and Yoritomo both had, um, you know, showings in the thing. But the lion, yeah, yeah, nobody else. The crane in particular placed second and are literally nowhere in this except for getting dunked on by yeah. – uh, what's it called? Um, the Morikagi part. They're nowhere in the Morikagi part. They're mentioned in the fictions but only getting dunked on by blood speakers. So Yeah. I would point out since the actual final numbers were 233 participating stores with 3,314 players. Yeah. That's so many people. Yeah, and that it's it gets bigger too. Like L5R at its height really was cranking out enormous an enormous amount of participation. It was really cool. Yeah. So I'm, it'll be fun to watch how those numbers go up for a while here. Yeah, it's a um the Stormy of Morikaga Castle occurred in 17 countries. That's really that's really impressive to me. Yeah. Yeah. L5R really was a very inter- uh I mean, at this point, the game is is very much beginning to reach its – is really beginning to hit its stride as far as um, tournament and reach. Uh, as far as, like, the game itself is really beginning to hit its stride as far as reach and the tournament engagement is really going to start to, like, get its claws into the fans. As we continue to go on here, we'll see more and more bananas tournament stuff. Mm-hmm. As the as Alderac begins to to like really recognize the value there and like what the the potential for what that can be, what they can how they can engage with their fans and like how they can leverage that into more engagement and I'm I'm sure they looked at the numbers and said well the more we do that the more cards they buy and things like that but yeah um, yeah yeah. I, it was it's impressive i i really i think i said a lot in the past how excited i was to get into like gold um but even hidden emperor is starting to really look like my l5r so to speak mm-hmm. um and this is an example of it like i i came up at the you know i spent a lot of time in diamond which had a lot of banana stuff going on and then you know my really heyday was you know celestial and emperor and there was some there's some bananas storyline stuff going on in Celestial and Emperor. Uh, so that very much feels like my my L5R right there. 
Yeah, I still feel like every so often kind of bummed that I missed out on all of that because I came to it so late. And I, I mean, and I guess I, maybe I would have anyway because I didn't come through the card game to begin mm-hmm. with. Because um, I've watched people play the card game and went, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, um, I was a hot garbage card player. I mean, it should be noted that I, I built- Oh, you've said it lots of times. Here's the thing, though. Like, I've watched people play that game and been like, 30 seconds into them trying to explain it to me and my eyes just glaze over. Well, I, I mentioned like, it only because... Like, I don't because... know if it's, like, the ADHD and I just can't handle it, but, like... See, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned it only because, like, I built decks to tell stories. Like, my decks were often, like, thematic garbage. I I barely went to tournaments. Like, my engagement with the card game was entirely, like, via the story. Like, yeah, I very much followed tournament results because they were related to the story. So not being even if you were a role play, uh, like a, an RPG person. Yeah, I knew a lot of people that were not diehard RPG people that still were very or that were not diehard CCG people that were still very actively engaged with what was going on with tournament results and stuff. Yeah. And I just came to it like way too late even for that. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, um, so that's the end of Morikagi Castle. Next week, Tutori's back, and he's somehow, issuing edicts. Yeah, somehow miraculously, even worse than normal, but at least in an interesting way. God, he can't even get uncaptured right. Yeah, you get to decide next week or next episode whether you prefer an interesting and shitty Tutori. Or a boring and bland Tatori. I would like to point out, actually, Jude, that our next episode uh, will come out January 7th. Yeah. Um, which is our one-year episode, because our our podcast really? premiered January 8th. How about mm-hmm. that? We put out episode zero on January 1st, but yeah. How about that? We are one-year anniversary. We've been making this podcast for a year, and we're still only in Hidden Emperor. Wow. (laughs) That's what I want you to know. That's what I want you to take out of this, is that we have been doing this podcast for a full year, and we are only like a third of the way through Hidden Emperor. (laughs) Jesus. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Noted. Yep. Well... That's a trip. On that note of resignation, uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Yeah. All right. Happy Snakemas and have and have a merry oatmeal year. <laughs> no. I'm sticking to it. Garbage of the Five Rings is an independent production and can be found online at www.garbageofthefiverings.com and on Twitter at G5R Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amelia Antrim, and I can be found on Twitter at Ginger Reckoning. My co-host, Jude Vase, can be found on Twitter at Aramidic Jude. Sources for this episode and further information on the topics discussed can be found in the show notes. Thanks for letting us waste your time. We'll be back in two weeks. 